Printing was first practiced not by Johannes Gutenberg or by any other European intellect, but in the Orient. Printing from woodblocks existed in China by the 3rd century AD, and movable types were in use there by the 11th century. It has sometimes been suggested that Gutenberg and other European prototypographers learned their skills directly or indirectly from Oriental models. However, the inspiration for the earliest European printers, and indeed the precise technology they employed to make type and to print, remain uncertain. Woodcuts were printed in Europe before the invention of a method of making movable type, which came about between around 1440 and 1450. Within a decade or two, printers had developed a practical means of casting individual pieces of metal type using a steel punch, cut by a skilled artisan, a copper matrix, and a metal mould. Although pieces of type, or sorts, cast by this method were theoretically identical to one another, variations in the casting and printing processes mean that characters printed from two different sorts of the same letter were never precisely the same, although they were usually very similar. The earliest types were black letter, that is to say they were Gothic in style, and copied the Gothic manuscript hands being practiced in many scriptoria of the mid-15th century. During the next 50 years or so, however, other type styles developed. What we now call Roman type was not a direct copy of any manuscript style, but a printer's confection, in which the minuscules were derived from Carolingian manuscript hands, while the majuscules were based on Roman capitals of the sort seen in classical inscriptions. Italic types were also devised, based initially on chancery and similar styles of writing. As printing developed and spread, these different styles of type were used in different ways, with Germanic countries continuing to use black letter, and Italy and France generally adopting the Roman and Italic faces. Once a font of type has been cast, it has to be arranged into cases so that it can be easily composed into lines of text. The earliest cases were large and contained many compartments, with the different characters, their numerous variants, accents and so forth, arranged in a more or less alphabetical sequence, as can be seen in this woodcut of 1499, showing death coming for a compositor. In later centuries, a two-case system developed, which was more efficient. It had the minuscules, punctuation and spacing in the lower case, and the capitals, numerals and other less commonly used characters in the upper case. And this is where the terms upper and lower case for minuscules and majuscules derives. Once you have your type arranged into cases, you can start setting your text. The compositor would hold a composing stick made of wood. This is a metal one, but the principle is exactly the same. And would start by picking up the first character and placing it into the composing stick upside down, but he would work in the right order. So if he was setting the word the, he would start with a capital T and then put in a lowercase h and a lowercase e like that, and so on with spaces between the words until he reached the end of the line. The amount of spacing, or in some cases the characters themselves, will be adjusted until the line fitted the stick to perfection. When the stick is full of lines of type, it is emptied into a wooden galley. By this means, pages are made up, and when enough pages have been composed, they are laid out in the correct sequence and orientation to make up a printing form. This process of arranging the pages to produce a form is known as imposition. Here is a simple octavo form. It consists of a wooden or iron chase into which eight pages are placed, spaced and held in position by pieces of wood known as furniture and wooden wedges called coins. In this form, the wooden wedges have been replaced with more modern metal ones, which expand with a key, but the principle is much the same. This form is then placed onto the bed of a printing press, and the first proof is taken. The type is inked with leather inking balls, or dabbers. Rollers were not used until rubber was discovered in the 19th century. The ink, which consists of a varnish, traditionally made from linseed oil and a pigment, black usually being generated by burning organic matter to produce carbon, 
was worked with the dabbers to give it a consistent texture and viscosity and was then applied to the type. And a sheet of paper would be pinned or otherwise affixed to the tympan. Then this frame, covered with paper or parchment known as the frisket, was folded down over it. Of course, at this date, all paper would have been handmade paper, and it was necessary usually to damp the paper in order that it print well. The sandwich containing the paper with the frisket and tympan on the outside was then folded down onto the type. Then the carriage assembly was advanced under the platen, which is the part that does the printing, by turning this crank called a rounce. Then the printer would pull on the bar, like this, and the screw mechanism here would apply the pressure. A wooden press like this could only apply a fairly limited amount of pressure, and so for printing a full-size form like this, it had to be done in two operations, in two halves. So that's printing the second half. Then the rounce is turned again to bring the carriage out from under the platen. The tympan and frisket are folded up. The frisket folded away from the tympan and the sheet of paper bearing the printed image is removed and placed into a pile. Proofreading was usually done by a responsible member of printing house staff, often the owner or master printer of the office. Proofs were sometimes compared with manuscript copy by one person reading aloud the manuscript and another reading the proof and marking any mistakes. Minor errors could be corrected with the form still on the press. It was unusual for authors to correct their own proofs in early European printing houses. Often they were only sent a proof copy of the book on completion and could then supply a list of corrigenda to be printed at the end of the book or sometimes corrected in manuscript. If such corrections were extensive or important, Leaves of the book might have to be cancelled, that is cut out, and reprinted, or printed correction slips pasted over the erroneous texts. If an author wished to have oversight of the printing, it was usually necessary for him to lodge at or near the printing house in order to correct proofs as they came from the press. There is evidence that Erasmus spent eight months of his life dwelling with a printer in order to be on hand to correct the proofs of one of his books. Once the proofs have been corrected, the printing proper can begin. This process normally involved two men, a beater and a puller. The beater worked the ink to keep it viscous and applied it to the type, while the puller placed the damp paper on the press, made the impression and then removed the printed sheet. The beater's hands would become inky while the pullers were clean, thus preserving the paper from inky fingerprints. The printed sheets were placed on top of each other to form a pile. A beater and puller working together were expected to work a token, that is to say a number of sheets, often 250, to be printed in each hour. At that rate, each sheet had to be printed in about 14 seconds. Faster rates were sometimes required, although there would be a concomitant drop in quality, and it should be remembered that printing was a business in which time was money and the process would be carried on as quickly as possible to maximise profits. Printing house workers usually worked a 12-hour day and a six-day week. However, compared with artisans working in most other professions, printers were relatively well-paid and well-respected. The beater and puller would often print a set number of tokens, then swap roles in order to vary the work. Once the appropriate number of sheets had been printed, and that might be anything from a hundred to several thousand copies, the form was removed from the press and handed back to the compositor. 
he would clean and deconstruct it, removing the type, which he would distribute back into the cases, so that it could be reused. If further sheets were to be printed, he would often keep the furniture beside the chase, plus any elements which might need to be repeated, such as headlines and direction lines, and use these to make up the next form once the main text had been set. Meanwhile, another form will be put onto the press and the other side of the sheet printed, thus completing or perfecting the sheet. This was usually done on the same press, on the same day, so that the pile of paper did not have time to dry out too much between printing one side and the other. If the sheet had to be redamped during printing, it would expand, and aligning or registering the pages on the two sides of the sheet would become more difficult. Sometimes the other side of the sheet would be printed on a second press, which could be run in parallel with the first. It was usual for printing houses to possess more than one press, and even the smallest commonly had two or three. A large printing office might be equipped with a dozen or more presses. At any one time, there would usually be more than one job on hand, so that as many of the presses as possible could be kept busy and generating income for the master printer. After a sheet had been perfected, it would be hung up to dry on a washing line, which was often strung up above the presses. Once dry, the sheets would be sorted and stored against the day the book would be completed. A short book or pamphlet might just be a single sheet, but most books had more than one sheet, and if we imagine, say, an Octavo edition of the New Testament, that might have had as many as 50 sheets. Uh, because most printing offices only had a limited supply of type, they would set, proof, correct, print and distribute each sheet separately before setting the next one, and so it would be quite a long process to set a book. If you imagine uh, an edition of a thousand copies of this imaginary New Testament, it would take about 800 man-hours to hand-compose the text, and about 400 man-hours to print the pages. Uh, of course, this is if one person was working on it. If a single compositor was working on the book, it would be about nine and a half weeks' work. But, of course, most presses had more than one compositor, so that what is amazing really is not so much how slow printing was as how quick it was. Um, our imaginary New Testament, a thousand copies, could have been printed by an efficient printing house in little more than a month. Once the entire book was printed and any corrections had been made following the reading of the edition by its author, the sheets were passed to the vendor or publisher. In the early decades, many printers were also booksellers who sold the books they printed, but a division between printers who made books Publishers who funded the books and booksellers who sold books in shops developed quickly as printing spread across Europe. So far we have considered only texts, but a great many books were illustrated and some, such as block books, consisted wholly or largely of images rather than words. For much of the 15th century the only way of making a printed picture was to use a hand-cut relief block. In Europe, as in the Orient, woodcuts existed before movable type and represented a simpler technology, at least in the process of making them. A woodcut is made by cutting from a plank of wood all the blanks of the design and leaving standing proud all the lines and areas which the designer wants to print. A similar method of making a relief surface was to cut the image into a block of soft metal, like type metal, rather than in wood. Cuts made in wood and metal have the great advantage that they can be printed in exactly the same way as type and can be combined with type in a form. From around 1470, engraved and later etched illustrations began to be used in books. These were made and printed by a quite different process and used a different sort of press, so that including what are called intaglio prints in books was a great deal more expensive than using woodcuts. However, intaglio prints were often used where a particular fineness of detail was required, as for example in anatomical and other scientific books and in maps. For three centuries and more, these were the only two methods of illustrating books, from relief blocks cutting wood or metal, or from intaglio plates produced by some form or combination of etching and engraving. 
In the latter part of the 18th century, wood engraving and lithography were invented, and iron printing presses were introduced in the early 19th century. By around 1840, the production of books and other reading matter was an industrial process. What is known as the hand press period lasted between the 15th and the latter part of the 18th centuries. Throughout these three and a half centuries, the methods of producing type and illustrative printing surfaces and of using them to print books and ephemera of all kinds remained essentially as we've demonstrated here.